So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, my name is Selena Kulkarni. I help business owners learn about and build wealth using non-traditional investments so that they have the freedom to choose an early retirement. Now, That really brings me to the topic for today, which is this concept of financial freedom. Most people hold up or edify the idea of financial freedom as the holy grail of why we get into investing in the first place. And unfortunately, the traditional pathway to financial freedom requires us to slog it out as business owners for at least 40 to 50 years. And then hopefully at that point, we will have sufficient resources and assets in place to support us for our remaining years. Now, retirement for most entrepreneurs is a bit of a dirty word. So I use that word very loosely. What I really mean when we talk about financial freedom and retirement is that ability to choose how you spend your time, whether it's continuing to work in your business or not. So that's my big asterisk. You know, I guess the starting point is to be financially free. Instead of talking in loosey-goosey terms, you really need to know what it is that you want. And, you know, how do you figure that out? And this is where I, I really think taking a leaf from the thinking of an engineer is really useful. So what an engineer does is, or a good engineer anyway, is they diagnose and, and ask questions and figure out what it is that you want to build. And it can't be loosey-goosey. It's got to be really specific. You know, what does the shape look like? How much weight will it carry? You know, where will it be built? All that kind of stuff. So from a financial freedom point of view, if we're thinking like engineers, what we want to do is we want to be really clear about, first of all, defining what financial freedom means to you. And this is one of those fascinating areas where every single person that I speak to has a a different flavor of expressing what financial freedom means to them. And when I say that, what I mean is how their life looks how their life would change if they were to achieve financial freedom is very different for everyone. But there are some fundamentals that are probably fairly congruent across most people. And I think if you could at least start with these kinds of principles in mind, you could probably do a a pretty good job of defining financial freedom for yourself. You know, really the topic for this podcast is, you know, to be financially free, you have to start with the end in mind. And this is super important. So what we want to do is once we've defined what financial freedom actually is, and we're really rock solid about it, then we can start to reverse engineer what are the actions, what are the questions that we need to ask ourselves, what is the thinking that is required in order to achieve that particular result at that point in time with enough stability, both from a foundations and execution perspective, that you feel really comfortable with it. So, you know, I guess really what I wanted to do in this podcast is 
bring to your attention some of the questions that you need to be asking yourself. So number one, do you actually know what it is that you want? So when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, being concrete about things like, you know, baseline living costs that you have right now, that if you had that amount of passive income coming in would be life altering for you. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. There are some people whom I speak with who say, um, you know, I say, what, what, what passive income, what's your goal around, you know, trying to create a passive income stream? And they'll say something like, I need to have 250,000 to, to be financially free. And I say, okay, and write that down. And then I say to them, well, what are you currently earning? Like, what are you currently bringing in? And the response might be, well, I'm earning 150,000. And so I immediately say, well, you know, what is it costing you to live the life that you currently have? And they tell me, and it's usually something below the 150. And so it's not to say that the aspirational goal of 250 is wrong, but really what you want to be clear about is what do you actually need in order to sustain the level of lifestyle that you have comfortably? Now, for some people, they want a, a like for like, you know, if they can afford to eat takeaway four times a week, then they want a passive income that will allow them to sustain having takeaway four times a week. Then another example as a contrast is I can be speaking to someone who let's say they're earning a couple of hundred thousand every year, including, you know, dividends and whatever. And you say to them, well, what's your passive income goal? And they'll say something like 80,000. And I, I say, okay, well, tell me about that. And really what they're doing is they're saying, look, I'm aware that I have a surplus in terms of I know that I've got this fuel to contribute towards my investing, but I don't actually need that to live comfortably. Let's say, for example, they don't have a mortgage or they have a very small mortgage. Let's say they've got children that have left the home. Let's say that they only want one, you know, international holiday year, whatever it is, like however they describe their life. But they're pretty clear that if they were to have $80,000 coming in every year, regardless of whether they got up out of bed and went to work or not or ran their business or not, that that would be life altering for them because they would have the freedom to choose. And so that first question you want to ask yourself is, do you know what you want? Requires you to get really granular about where your numbers are at. People tend to focus on maybe some aspirational goals around wealth. And they also tend to focus on like some magical net worth that they think that if they achieve that, then the the income will follow or the, um, the wealth security will follow. Those two things do not go hand in hand. So you can be worth, say, for example, $5 million or $10 million and your level of financial security can actually be very poor because perhaps, say, for example, you need to earn a certain level of income to support your investment portfolio. So knowing what you want is not just about talking about net worth. It's about describing how much passive income, what does your debt burden look like, and you know, possibly some other things. But I would say it's a, and I've talked about this in a past podcast, it's kind of like maybe a three or four piece formula. When A plus B plus C plus D, that for me is the definition of at least baseline financial freedom. Now that's not to say, you know, for the person who says they want to earn 250,000 in passive income, that there's anything wrong with that. But what I'm suggesting is you want to peel back the onion and come back to the absolute baseline. You know, for a lot of people, especially in our country, the pension system's 
very, very poor in that, you know, a single person or a pensioner couple have to live off something like $25,000 or less. Maybe it's, you know, 20 to 35,000, something like that. Now, if you own your own home, you know, my observation is that you could probably carve out a subsistence and probably do okay, but it's not ideal. So anything well above that is really cream. So I think if the bulk of the population is getting by on such small numbers, you know, you need to be really honest with yourself about saying, well, if I had X coming in, then I would feel that I had the luxury of choice about how hard I work or where I apply my talents and my energies. So that's question number one. Question number two is, do you actually know what you have? And when I say that, I'm really astounded at the number of of people who don't really know precisely what they have from a balance sheet perspective. And when I say that, they've got bank accounts all over the place. They've got dribs and drabs of investments all over the place. They maybe have property, but they don't really know what that property is currently worth. They certainly have no understanding of what the profit and loss is for each of their properties. They don't know about the prospects. They don't know if it's a good deal or a bad deal. They're just kind of in that mentality of set and forget. Maybe people have share portfolios, but they're not really tracking those. They don't really know if they're in the black or in the red, whether they provide dividends or not. So it's always great to start from a place of bird's eye, holistic view of what have I got? You know, how is that tracking? So when I say that, when you kind of have a clear view of what you have, then you can start to apply some simple mathematic to get you clarity on, well, here's what I've got. And here's where it's likely to be in X number of years in the future. And it gives you that ability to say, well, if I did nothing else, here's kind of the starting point. And so this question around, you know, the connection between what you've got and your definition of financial freedom starts to help you shift your thinking in terms of, well, what do I need to do with what I've got in order to get to where I want to go? Because certainly for a lot of people, let's say, for example, they've bought one or two or five or 10 investment properties, they kind of often, you know, bed those in and then just forget about them and, and just hope and pray that by the time they need those assets to fuel their retirement or the next phase of their journey, that they'll be enough. And I'm talking to more and more people who've maybe left their runway to, you know, stepping out of their business quite short and they are finding that they are in fact running short of what they thought they would, you know, where they thought they'd be. So that second question is, do you know what you have? And I guess the second part of that question is, are you tracking the performance of that portfolio of investments over time? Now I caution you to, unless your plan is to either downsize your home or use your home to generate income, you sort of want to exclude your home from this analysis because that's really capital that isn't necessarily going to serve you if your goal is to be mortgage free and just have a house that's just unencumbered. One of the things that I know that a lot of investors do is they give themselves comfort about their net worth by including the value of their home in the mix. And what I would argue is that is not part of your working capital base. So you want to kind of exclude that in reference to this second question. The third question that I think that you need to be really thinking about in context of, you know, starting with the end in mind is, you know, do you know how much fuel you can consistently allocate to your journey? Because this is 
really the missing piece for a lot of investors. Let's say, for example, they do know how much they create in terms of profit or dividends out of their business, but they don't actually have clarity on how much of that they're prepared to consistently set aside for wealth creation and for creating passive income. And so this is one that I would also really encourage you to kind of tease apart and get very concrete on. Now, for a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, profits can fluctuate wildly. They can go up, they can go down. Some, you know, businesses have been, you know, absolutely smashed over the last two years as a result of, you know, things like COVID. Other businesses have really thrived. The key here is really kind of understanding at a baseline minimum, what is it that you mentally and in reality can physically set aside to fuel your investing? Because that's when you start to be able to do some better analysis on where you are likely to be. And again, if you're starting with that end in mind, you can reverse engineer and play with the fuel that you have and look at different scenarios. So for example, let's say you are in a situation and I'm thinking specifically of a lovely uh, woman I spoke to last week who's, you know, really worked hard to build a really solid business. And, you know, like a lot of couples, she kind of had the rule of thumb going on that they lived off her husband's income and all of her income was fuel for investing. Her strategy right now was, I just want to pay down the debt on the small portfolio of investment properties that I've got so that at some point in the future, it will give me a passive income that I could potentially live off. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but in this context of building financial freedom, the end in mind has to be in reference to a point in time. So the strategy that she wanted to execute on was my strategy for reaching financial freedom was to pay down the debt. Now I asked her questions about, well, how did you choose those properties? Are they good properties? Do you feel confident about the performance of those properties in the future? And I think that what ultimately came out is that there wasn't really any investing rules or framework used to acquire those in the first place. So already you're starting behind the eight ball in terms of then applying a debt reduction strategy as the main game to get you to your financial freedom number. So when I say this idea of fuel is really important, if you are in that situation where you are self-made, you are a business owner and everything you have is as a result of your own blood, sweat and tears, what you want to make sure of is that the fuel that you have at the end of every year or as you go through the year is applied to opportunities or a game plan or a strategy that will get you where you want to go in a time frame that is meaningful. So it's okay to say my strategy is that I'm going to buy two investment properties and then just pay them off. That's my game. But the reality is, let's say that takes you 20 years or 25 years or 30 years to achieve. And let's say based on mathematical kind of projections, you work out that in 25 years, that's going to give you $100,000. My immediate point to you, and this is where my own journey really kind of kicked off into looking for better options was in 2009, when we had quite a large property portfolio, you know, it was positive cash flow, more or less across the board, it was about even. And we had redlined and, you know, hustled and really fought to build that property portfolio. I worked out that I was still at that point, 25 years away from hitting the sort of goals that we wanted. But then layer on top of that, the fact that let's say in this instance, let's say your your goal is to get to financial freedom, you need $100,000. What is $100,000 really going to be worth in terms of buying power in 25 years? And I would hazard a guess that $100,000 in 25 years is not going to buy you 
what $100,000 buys you now. And that is why this whole idea of starting with the end in mind, it's got to be a meaningful goal that you set. So there's no point in saying, well, I want $100,000 in passive income to live off in 40 years time, because in 40 years time, is 100K really going to cut it? So this idea of fuel, going back to my original point, like, do you know how much fuel you have? If you know you've got a fixed or a baseline level of fuel that you can contribute to your investing every year, you need to start thinking about how you're going to apply it because debt reduction strategies are okay to a point, but they're only going to get you so far. And, you know, maybe this is another podcast episode in itself because I think it's worth unpacking, but debt reduction by itself is really another form of savings. And it's very hard to save your way to wealth. It's very hard to save your way to building a passive income stream that is meaningful, that you could live off while you're young enough to still enjoy it, I might add. So that was question three. Question four was, do you understand your investing options? So this is really the next piece. So when I say that, let's say you know that your goal is that you need to get to a certain amount of passive income, let's say $100,000 passive income, and you'd like to get there in five years. And you know that you've got, let's say, $150,000 a year to allocate to some form of investing and debt reduction. The tension, of course, is always between, you know, keeping an eye on the prize and making sure that you get to the passive income you want without ending up in a situation where you're still carrying a ton of really, you know, life squashing debt, I'll call it. So you've got to really think about, you know, that tension between paying off debt and creating more wealth. And then of course, you know, you've got all sorts of external limitations like the banks won't lend you more than a certain amount of money. Your income is always going to be a limiting factor in terms of borrowing. There's so many different facets to it, but this is the piece where before you go off half cocked and buy the next investment property or buy a whole portfolio of shares, you need to actually understand the opportunity cost of different courses of action. So for example, if you are in a situation where you have a reasonable net worth and some good capital behind you. Maybe you've even got a good capacity to set aside dividends out of your earnings every year. Then alternative investments, for example, are an amazing asset class to be thinking about because there's a trade-off at some point between growing your net worth and growing your passive income, particularly when we're talking about traditional assets. So understanding your options if you're in that situation is crucial. If you took a small percentage of your capital and put it into alternative where you were earning, say, 8 to 12% net returns after all your expenses, and that could get you to where you want to go within five years, how does that compare with you feeling like, okay, now I've got to pay down debt or I've got to buy more investment properties or I've got to buy more shares, I've got to buy more traditional assets so that my net worth grows or I've got to put more money into super. There's no right or wrong with any of this stuff, but you need to understand at your point of the journey what your investing options are. Now, the contrast to that is imagine you are a new investor and you're just getting started. Then I would say to you, the priorities at that point of your investing journey is you've got to build capital. And the best way to do that is by using leverage to access investments such as traditional property, where you can really park it, put a small percentage of your own capital against a debt from a bank and allow that asset to grow over time. And that's how you will get exponential results. There's no question. But what I'm advocating is when you start with the end in mind, when you know where you want to get to, you can start making better quality of, of decisions and asking better quality questions now 
as opposed to investing blindly and then at some point going, oh, bugger, you know, I'm a bit off track here. What what do I actually want to do? What, what do I actually want? Which unfortunately is what I'm um, witnessing more and more in the calls that I'm having with some of you that are inquiring about, well, what, what how does alternative investing work and how could that be a fit for me? So fifth question that I want to really suggest that you need to think about if you want to really be that investor that starts with the end in mind is where are your highest priorities? You know, I talked a little bit in, you know, the first question about what do you actually want? I think identifying your priorities and perhaps even describing some milestones that are going to occur on your journey between now and where you want to go. And what I'm talking about is, you know, we can't be investors in a vacuum. So, Unfortunately, a lot of investing theory is about in a perfect world where life doesn't come undone or where things don't get in the way, you might be perfectly comfortable with, you know, a particular course of action. But the reality is life happens in unexpected ways. Things come up. Not only that, like, you know, we're only here once. We want to really make sure we, we enjoy the ride. You've certainly come across, I'm sure, investors who are so, I guess, frugal and have such a scarcity mindset that they end up not really enjoying their life or postponing enjoyment because they think that it's going to happen at some point in the future. So this fifth question is what are your highest priorities is really about saying there's no question that many of us value the wealth building piece. But what are the things that are going to happen between now and this goal date that are really important to you? So for example, like you might say, it's really important to me that in year two, that I take a six week sabbatical, that I have a child, that I take time out to be with my grandkids. It could be events like that, life events. It could be time is your highest value. So instead of saying, I don't want to wait till I hit that to start taking time out to enjoy myself, I want to do it now. And maybe in doing that, there'll be some compromise to the outcomes or the profitability of your business. Maybe your highest priority today is cash flow. Maybe it's building capital. Maybe it's tax considerations. Whatever those are, it's really important to bring the human element to your planning and you know, I think I could probably certainly in my own journey have been at least three or four times wealthier than I am. But for me, the experiences and the, you know, the people in my world and my life and that sense of balance between work and play and love and relationships and kids and all of that, that matters greatly to me. So I haven't been all about the investing. And so I would say to you, it is really important. And this is just a really practical kind of, I guess, heart sentiment rather than a technical pragmatic one. You need to know what your highest priorities are. So look, I've, I've kind of gone down a bunch of rabbit holes here, but let me just recap. You know, if you start with the end in mind as an investor, you are far less likely to follow shiny objects and get off track. You are much more likely to make sure that the investments that you take on are in alignment with where you're trying to go. It's much more likely that you will set a cadence for your investing, which will get you further along than if you're a bit ad hoc about it. If you start with the end in mind, it becomes an ability to reverse engineer and work out what thinking and action is required to get you where you want to go. So for example, if you are a business owner that has maybe been 
you know, operating on autopilot when it comes to your wealth building. And now you, you're like, I, I just want this to be done. Like, I just want to get where I want to go over the next three, maybe five years. Then alternative investments are definitely worth looking at because they are specifically focused on generating that predictable, sustainable cash flow. And then, you know, I think as well, like the five questions that I, I just mentioned, now know what you want, know what you have, know what the fuel is that you are going to have as a baseline that you consistently can allocate to investing, know your investing options and set your highest values and priorities in life. So guys, I I think I want to end there. I really love this topic. I think it's a really important one. And what I'd like to encourage you all to do is just reflect on those five questions over a cup of tea in the next week. And uh, please let me know if there are any things that jump out or that you want help with anything. I'm always here. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.